David is writing from a point of desperation and hopelessness. His kingdom is taken, but not by an outside enemy, by his own son. His palace is taken, his friends betrayed him, his people are dying, and his family is fractured. He says, many are they that increase that trouble me. That word trouble means to be strangled by a foe or to be to be oppressed by a foe. So he has this visual image of being being dominated by someone. Many are they that rise up against me. Rise up against has this idea to stand over or in the way. So you can imagine the defeated outlook that David has in the first two verses. He, he feels like he's defeated and they're coming in for the killing blow. He feels like he's being stood over by his enemy and there's no hope. How often do we get to the point in our lives where the trials and the, and the problems and the, the, the roadblocks and the speed bumps in our lives starts to surmount and we start to feel like there's no way out of it. There's no way out of it. You can get to the point where the conflict on the outside, it clouds our judgment, it clouds what we know God can do, and we feel overwhelmed. But he wasn't only overwhelmed by the outward enemies, he was overwhelmed by the inward conflict. Look at verse 2. Many there be which say of my soul. he's, He's talking to God here, he's like, God, they're saying this about me. There is no help for him in God. The people all around him are saying the same thing. His situation is hopeless. Frankly, if you start listening to the world around you, you're, not, you're never going to get anything encouraging. Frankly, you start listening to certain Christians, and it starts to be a negative thing. Ladies and gentlemen, let me encourage you with this. The devil has a monopoly on negativity. Let's not join him in that. Working in the world and working with people, I remember even as a kid working at the theater in Fort Morgan, I remember how how desperate someone would come in and they'd just be, here's all the negative things happening in my life. Now the world doesn't have any hope. We do. We should be able to share that. We should be able to show that. We should be able to express that joy because of what Christ has done. His situation, they said, was hopeless, that even God cannot help. Have you ever been to that point where you think, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know when you're going to do it. I don't know if you can do it. But here's the thing. David was allowing these things to cause inward conflict. How many of you guys ever heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? (laughs) That is, that's not true. That's unfortunately not true. We need to watch what we're saying. We need to watch what's coming into our ears because what's coming into our ears affects our heart. At Bridge this last week, we were having a, a study over James chapter 3, the verse 12, first 12 verses talk about the tongue. And we were having this discussion and Kenzie brought up the verse in Proverbs that says life and death are in the power of the tongue. <laughs> Come to find out several people in Bridge had used that that weekend with their spouses. Kind of become the theme verse for it. But some days we need to watch what's coming out of our mouths because it might affect the way someone feels. I know I can get to the point where I say something and it immediately, I know I stuck my foot in my mouth. 
I'm headed to the point where it's like, I need to call that person and apologize right now. And David was allowing these things to affect his spiritual condition. Put it this way, guys, your, people's opinion matters very little compared to your spiritual condition. If we have that filter on in our lives, everything's a lot easier to do. They say there is no help for him in God. We often feel like everything around us is working against us. Uh, the people, our circumstances, the timing, the outcome, even our expectations have betrayed us. Spurgeon wrote, according to this passage, if all the trials which come from heaven, all the temptations which ascend from hell, and all the crosses which arise from the earth could be mixed and pressed together, they would not make a trial so terrible as that which is contained in this verse. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. So we see what is David experiencing. He was overwhelmed by his outward enemies and an inward conflict. But number two, who did God end up being for David? Who was God to David? Look at verse three. But thou. How often do we need to put that everywhere in our houses? But thou. Start ending a conversation with that. If you start to get negative. <laughs> but thou. O Lord. Art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. So who is God to David? Well, number one, he was his safety. He says, you're a shield for me. This is the neat part of this, of this passage is this is not a, a completely negative psalm. This is actually a very triumphant psalm, but it starts off showcasing where David's at. And he responds to the skeptics, to the lies and to the fears with a resounding emphasis on God or who God was to him. God was his shield, his protector, his peace in the storm, his shelter in the hurricane. That was who God, David knew God was. Bible says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God was David's safety. God was David's honor. Thou, O Lord, our shield for me, my glory. Glory is defined as this. It's a great admiration, honor, and praise that is earned through merits. And David realizes that true glory, true honor does not come from your merits. It comes from God. David's title was stripped, his crown left behind, his status in question. His honor was destroyed, but not to God. David did not let his circumstances or the opinions of others move his devotion from God. Men will let fame, power, wealth, or possessions give them glory. We need to find our glory in the Lord. 1 John 3, verse 2 says this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Uh, Pastor Rob Thornton, who used to be here, always said, and I, this has stuck with me since I was a kid, if this is as bad as it gets, so be it. Because it's, it's going to get better from here. I was studying today for the message for us uh, Friday for Randy. I was looking at the topic of heaven. 
if we want an encouraging study to look at, look at heaven in the Bible. There's more written on hell than there is heaven in the Bible, but the little bit that is written on heaven is one of the most, some of the most encouraging verses you can find. We have to realize that God needs to be our focus. God needs to be the person that gives us glory. Don't dwell on the possessions or the title or whatever you find security in because that is feeble. Rest in the honor that God gives us. He was his safety. He was his honor. He was his deliverance. The lifter up of mine head, he says. David knew God would destroy his dignity again. He knew God would lift him out of his troubles, and he knew God would not let his spirits fail. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go up to Steamboat all the time and go sledding. How many guys like sledding? I love sledding. If you go up to Steamboat, go to Steamboat 2, a little subdivision on the west side of Steamboat. There's a church called Anchor Way Church in the subdivision my grandparents live in, and it's got this massive hill. It's a quarter of a mile from where my grandparents live. And I remember when I was a kid, we'd go up to, to Grandma and Gramps's, and we'd grab the snow clothes out of the garage. She kept them in a big tub, and we all had our own snow clothes in there. And we'd, we'd strap on everything. We'd air up the inner tubes, and we'd go up to the church, and we'd be there for hours. But I remember one time I decided I was, I was going to try to climb up the hill onto the road instead of climbing back up the hill. The long way. I was like, I'm going to go up this steep part, but it's short instead of going up the relatively small incline. And I remember falling so deep in that snow that had been pushed off by the snow trucks. And remember, I couldn't get up. And I was stuck. Remember, out of nowhere, I had one of these snowsuits on that had the straps coming down, kind of like puffy overalls. And out of nowhere, someone grabbed the strap of my overalls and pulled me up. It was my dad. You have to realize, Dad's hands are massive. If you ever see Pastor's hands, they're massive. But that's the same thing here. Our decisions, our mistakes, our attitude can get us into a snowbank where we can't climb out by ourselves. So often we've got to call on our dad to pick us up says, the lifter up of mine head. I think of 2 Samuel 22. David is speaking here. And David spake to the Lord, speaking to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord hath delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior, thou savest me from violence. When we feel overwhelmed, God can bring back joy. When we feel overwhelmed, God will take our burdens. He restored his safety. He, he restored his honor. He gave him deliverance and he gave him restoration. Look at verse four. I cried unto the Lord, with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. David, it might have been dethroned, but he knew God wasn't. He relied on the fact that God would hear him and take care of him. David rested in the fact that God is in control. All he needed to do was cry out to him. Psalm 51, verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. That's who God is to us. When the, when the trials come, when we're overwhelmed, cry unto God. 
So what was David experience? Who was God to David? Number three, what did God give to David? What did God give to David? Look at verse five. I laid me down and slept. I awake. For the Lord sustained me. You see, God sustained him during the trial. Sleep was a beautiful provision during a trying time, but also so was waking up. In the span of a few months, David had his family split, his kingdom taken, and several friends turned their backs on him. Sleeping and waking were as big of a blessing as he could find at that point. David trusted God to, to, to sustain him during this time. Why can't we? Why can't we rest in the fact that God will take care of us? I've seen kids when I was in school. Finances are probably the number one worry at a Bible college. You go to a Bible college and you give a kid 20 bucks, he's going to think you are like a godsend. Because 20 bucks can go a long way. And at the Bible college we have, we, could, we didn't get student loans. You paid it off. You worked. And it, w- it was good for me. And I, 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 I'm thankful for it. But I remember how desperate it could be at some times. I remember one day praying. Sat down and I just prayed. I said, God, I don't, I, I'm the bank account zero. I know, I know you're going to provide. I've got this job and all the, all the money at my job was going straight to the school bill. God, I just need a sign that you're going to provide. And that day, in the mail, was a small box from a lady sitting in the back row with a little loaf of homemade bread and a $20 bill. And I remember God used Mrs. Simon to restore me to knowing that God's going to take care of it all. God will sustain us during our trials. God sustains us in our sleep, but we take it for granted. Think of it, you're asleep, unconscious, dead to the world. Some of you a lot more than others. Yet you breathe. Your heart pumps. Your organs operate. The same God who sustains us in our sleep will sustain us in our difficulties. He sustained him during during the trial. But look at verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. See, he protected him from his enemies. Through God's provision, David's fears were subsided. He no longer worried about the possibility of invasion or capture because God was taking care of him. His hope was not in the possibility of getting out of the trial, but rather in the fact that God would care for him during the trial. So often we get to the point where we look for God on the outside of the trial when we realize that we need to be looking for him in the trial. That's a hard thing to do. But you see, David, what he said, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves round about me. God sustained him and God protected him. And lastly, what did David expect God to do? And I worded it that way for a reason, because do you realize that we can expect God to do stuff for us because he promises to do it for us? Number one, he expected God to fight the battle for him. Look what it says in verse 7. Arise, O Lord. That's a military term, calling a force to fight and protect. It's calling a force to action. We see it in Numbers 10.35. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee 
flee before thee. David was calling God to battle to save him. He claimed God as his military force, knowing that God cannot be defeated. We need to claim the promises of God that he will fight for us, and no matter what, God is going to win. If you were to look at Genesis 3.15, you don't have to go there, but you can write it down. Genesis 3.15 is a prophecy given right after Adam and Eve sinned. And it's a prophecy given to the devil. And he says, you will bruise his heel, but he shall bruise thy head. You recognize that Genesis 3.15 is the prophecy that we claim today, knowing God's already won. Satan bruised his heel, he crucified Jesus on the cross, but Jesus is coming back again. Jesus is going to come back again. And he's not coming as the lamb. He's coming as a conquering king, as a lion, and that's what we can claim. Romans 8, 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He expected God to fight for him. He expected God to destroy his enemies. Look at, the, look at that. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. David not only called upon God to fight, but to break down his enemies. God would break the power and malice of David's enemies. God had silenced them and spoiled their speaking. He smote them upon the cheekbone. He blemished them and put them to shame. He smitten them on the cheek reproachfully. He had disabled them to do the mischief they had intended, for he had broken their teeth. Do you recognize the vivid imagery that David gives here is God not only defeated them, he put them into a place where they cannot come back. You see, God will not only fight for us, he will take care of our enemy better than we ever could. Goes back to that verse in Genesis. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. As dad would say in, in Missouri terms, you could say, Satan, you're cruising for a bruiser. Satan may hurt us, but he cannot kill us. God is studying out heaven again. Bring it on. I don't care. I'm at that point now where someone says, well, are you, if someone ever asks, are you scared to die? I said, no. Heaven's a place of rest. Heaven's a place of reunion. Heaven's a place of rejoicing. And David knew this. David knew that, hey, that God's in control. He expected God to destroy his enemies. He expected God to save him. Verse 8, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. The word salvation means deliverance, security, or victory. Think of Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. God understood that the only way he was going to have victory was by following what God said and doing what God commanded. I think of the verse, and I can't give you the reference, it's in Proverbs. But it says this, the way of the transgressor is hard. Let that sink in for a bit. Now, there's a lot of times where Satan tempts us. I don't think Job was a transgressor. 
There's a lot of trials that Satan brings into our lives, but how often do we need to step back and look and say, hey, <laughs> these are the consequences of my actions. Dad has, an, Dad has a saying, keep a short account of sin with God. Often an addict will say, I can get better alone, but they aren't following and relying on God. They cannot win. God has the power to save be the danger ever so great. It is God's prerogative to save when all other helps and suckers fail. It is God's pleasure. It is his property. It is his promise to those that are his, whose salvation is not of themselves, but of the Lord. He expected him to save him. And lastly, he expected him to provide for God's people. So we see all of this. The previous part of this verse is all referencing a single person. It's all what God is to David. And he ends it in verse 8 with this. Thy blessing is upon thy people. David still had a heart for those that God cared for. We need to make sure that we never lose that. We need to make sure that our trials do not take away our love and our care for those that God has placed into our life. Who's God putting on your heart? Who's God bringing up to you and who has God put in your path that you need to encourage and help? David expected God to provide for his people. I've skipped over a word a few times in this verse, in this chapter, and I want to cover it real quick. That little word, Selah. Selah is a transliterated Hebrew word, which means it wasn't translated. It was just they took it to the closest possible English alternative. Selah was most likely a musical term used in, in the music of that time, and it's a Hebrew term that usually meant to pause or reflect on what was previously said. So my final question is this. Do you need to take some time and have a Selah moment where you pause what's going on? You pause the commotion, you pause the schedule, you focus on who God is, on what God is doing for you, and what you expect God to do in the future. My challenge this week is let's all go out and have a Selah moment this week. Let's bow and let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we know David was struggling. We know David was having a an overwhelming time, Lord, but he comes in and with that phrase, but thou, O Lord. Lord, I pray that we relish in that and we, prov we, we have that Selah moment. And we just say, but thou, O Lord. No matter the trial, no matter the heartache, no matter the pressure, Lord, thou, O Lord. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.